Malakanaji, my name is Standing Holy. This name was given to me when I was young by Frank White Buffalo Man, a Sioux elder and grandson of Sitting Bull. This name was Sitting Bull's daughter's name and was gifted to me to use in this life for the benefit of the people. So here I am. Standing holy is the wisdom, strength, and guidance I have drawn upon to live well. It's preceded every ceremony I've ever done and has seen me through the hardest of life's experiences. Leaning into who I am on a soul level has carried me through the unimaginable. And it can for you too. This podcast is geared to summon your light, your heart song, your gift and contribution to humanity. As we embody and live by our true authentic self, we raise the frequency of the earth and all her inhabitants, something that is needed now more than ever. My greatest teacher, Floyd Hand, told me before he passed, my girl, when you begin sharing your stories, you will help a lot of people. This was his vision that I am carrying out. This is my heart song, as Wakanaji. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Standing Holy with Brandy Tuttle. Today we're going to get into a topic that has saved me a great deal in my life. We're going to go deep into the idea, notion, and understanding of past lives. You know, past lives is something that people don't often talk about. It's widely misunderstood and in some areas even thought to be, you know, not even something that people believe in. But my life really didn't make sense in all the ways that it does now until I understood the past lives and some of the past lives, I should say, that I've, that I've had. My first taste into really understanding these past lives actually came when I moved up here to Jackson, Wyoming in 98. At that time, I had enough ideas and um, the notion was in my mind, but I really didn't get into it too deeply until I met a woman here in Jackson. Her name is Carol Mann, and she's phenomenal, great person, and I went and sat with her, and she did a reading for me. (laughs) And she smiled, and she said, you know, I don't know what you do for a living, because I had only been here for about two months at the time. She said, but you're really good with people's aesthetic. People really come to you and trust you with how they look, and you're very good at that. She said, I see uh, times past where you would, you know, shave royal Egyptians' heads and you would be the one making the wigs. She said, I can see you uh, grinding up lapis lazuli, that blue stone, and making it into eyeshadow and the things that the Egyptian pharaohs would need. And so she downloaded me with all this knowledge and helped me to understand that that was something that I was naturally good at. And here I was, living in Jackson only for two months, nobody knew me, and working at a salon because I was natural in this industry. When I went to school, uh, cosmetology school, it was as if I was just getting the technicalities 
of the licensing. I had already known so much and hair just made sense to me, makeup just made sense to me. So it was something that I carried with me from a previous time. And it was with me from the time I was very little. I remember being a little girl and having a little plastic container and filling it with Vaseline and putting Kool-Aid <laughs> in that Vaseline and making lip gloss. I remember taking ash out of our fireplace and mixing it also with Vaseline to make, you know, an eyeliner. It hurt like crazy when I got it in my eyes, so I didn't do that very often. <laughs> but nonetheless, that predisposition, that um, tendency toward creation in that way was just something that followed me. And so it really helped me to understand um, where I was at. And one time here in Jackson, I was living at a place that was a small town home, two, two story, and my bedroom was upstairs. And I woke up at about 3.30 or so in the morning. And between 3 and 4 a.m. is what we call spirit hour. It's when that veil between here and spirit is very thin. And I was woken up at that time and I could feel my guides around me, and I, I was strongly told, get your sage rock and go downstairs. So I got my sage, got my rock, um, went downstairs, and I had this round rug that I had designed, and my dad had made it into a rug, um, and I had it out in my living room, and I sat in the middle of this round geometric rug, and the way that I sat was very unique. It felt very yoga-like. And at that point in my life, I, I wasn't, you know, into yoga. And so I didn't really know where that came from. But it felt very in alignment. And then I lit that sage up and smudged myself with it and closed my eyes and just leaned into spirit. And I heard spirit say to repeat their words. Show me where I've been so, no, so I know where I'm at and where I'm going. And just like that, I was taken to when I was about eight months in utero, when my mom was pregnant with me and I was just about ready to be born. Now, my birthday is December 17th. My due date was supposed to be Christmas Day. And because I was so far along um, in utero, and I could feel everything around me. Like I could feel the presence of my mom. I could hear her voice, of course. I could see the light through her belly and the way that everything had this warm glow because of being inside her body still. And yet the light would peer through. I could feel my dad and how he felt about me. And I could feel my sister, my brother. I could feel everybody around me. And I had that very um, level, philosophical way that spirit does when they come through, uh, the way that they still feel when they come through right now. And that was my perspective as a little baby in utero. And it was so interesting to me to sense 
all the details, like how I was number four in line. I was, I was the baby of the family and how my mom was kind of, you know, a little show offy about it because, uh, I'm the only child between my mom and my dad. My parents were both in separate relationships before they got together to have me. So my mom was kind of like, oh yeah, you know, this is old hat. This is going to be, you know, easy, no problem. She was really good with, you know, labor and delivery. And then I could feel my dad, that I have a sister from my dad's side, um, but he really didn't get to be around her as much, and I'm sure as much as he had wanted. So he was a little more, more nervous and uncertain what it what was going to happen, and I could sense that. It was just really interesting. And in this vision that they took me through, I was very aware that I could stay in this space as long as I wanted, and that I could control the next space that I went into. And so I didn't stay with that particular vision of being in utero long, and I wanted to go to the next. So the next vision that came to me, I was hovering. And that is what happens even still when I astral travel or do any of the out-of-body experiences. When my spirit goes, I hover above whatever space that I'm looking at. And in this particular vision, I'm hovering, and I see these busy streets, and it looks like it's about 1920 or so, and people are hustling and bustling, walking up and down the streets, and a uh, very busy city. And I see this woman, she's wearing this wool A-line jacket. She has a hat to match. She has patent leather shoes on. And her hair is cut kind of around her neck or so with some curl to it. Almost looked like it was kind of an auburn reddish color. And she's very headstrong, like I could tell she's, she's going somewhere important. Next thing you know, I'm in her body. And I could feel everything about her. She's not tall. She's not super thin, but she's just uh, not heavy either. Just sort of in the middle, a healthy woman. And um, I'm walking with her in her body, and I knew she was going to work. And beyond that, I knew that she was a makeup artist, and I knew she was going to work on vaudeville. And uh, she was a makeup artist for somebody very, very important, a very big deal at that time. And she was in a haste trying to get to work that day. And I looked up, and I could see these very high buildings, and I knew it was New York City. And so I didn't stay in that vision very long either. I decided to move on. And with that intention, very quickly, I'm hovering again. But this time, I'm in a teepee. And the teepee door is almost always, if not always, facing east, faces where the sun rises. And where I'm hovering is kind of on that southeast side. But I'm looking over there at that north side, and there's this elderly woman sitting there on her bed, and there's this boy who looks like he might be about eight, nine, ten, somewhere in there, little native boy, and he's laying down on his stomach, 
and his leg was broken between the knee and the ankle. And then right like that, I'm in her body. And I'm looking down, and I can see my hands, the veins, how I'm elderly at this time. I can see the long gray braids that I have in my hair. I can look to the left and see the door of the teepee. And as I looked up, I could see all the hides that were stitched together to make the the teepee what it was. I could see that smoke flap opening at the top and the fire that was in the middle. I could see the beds and the buffalo hides that were all over. There were a couple of what we call lazy back chairs that are a tripod with, um, with what, what we call dowels that are lashed together that you hook on one of those tripod sticks and you can lean back. It's a native chair. There were a couple of those. But as I was in her body, she was praying and she was using her left hand to rub this oil and this herb on this little boy's leg. And I knew that I was a healer in that life. You know, I had worked with spirit then as well. And that helped me to understand again, you know, when spirit suggested that I repeat after them, show me where I've been so I understand where I'm at and where I am going. And all of a sudden seeing this, I started to understand more. So then, without any hesitation, I leaned into the next life. And it didn't feel like these lives were necessarily one right after another, but they were in chronological order, and it felt like I was going back through them. So the next vision that I'm taken to, I'm hovering above a beautiful sandy beach. And there's this inlet that I'm looking at, and I could feel it was in well, on one of the Polynesian islands. And this inlet felt like it must have been the mouth of an old volcano because there was uh, lava cliffs off to the left, lava cliffs off to the right. The ones to the left were much higher, the ones to the right were a little lower. And uh, there was an a group of outriggers coming in. I remember in the vision I could see three, and they were rounding that cliffside to the right out there. Next thing you know, this young woman, she comes running by, and she's beautiful. She has this long hair. Hawaiian is what she looks like, but, you know, could have been any of the Polynesian islands, of course. And she's standing there on the beach, and she starts to um, say their pules, their chants. And uh, next thing you know, I'm in her body again. And um, all of a sudden, I have my hands up in the air. And with her left hand, she starts to whirl it around. And with that, there's a whirlpool that starts to happen out in the water. So she was able to affect water in that life. And that was a life that I lived And my 
My job at that moment was to keep those outriggers at bay so our men had time to get out there because we were going to battle. And I knew that this was of dire need to be able to summon this for the sake of our people. And that was how that went. I didn't get to see how the battle um, concluded. I didn't stay that long. Although, again, it felt like I could have if I needed to or wanted to. But really, that story was to help me again understand where I've been, so I understand where I'm at and where I'm going. And as I'm speaking these to you, my prayer, my hope is that you can start to think about the things in your life that you have this predisposition to. You know, that maybe you came in with this amazing musical talent or this artistic talent. Or perhaps you're a warrior. You know, perhaps you come in with this, this strength that you can stand up to adversity, that you can be that pillar for the people, that you can be that physical world warrior and possibly spirit warrior as well. Whatever it is that is your predisposition, understand that you carry a lot of gifts with you. And so after that particular life, um, I went on to one more that I got to see. And in this life, it looks like another one of the Polynesian islands, although, you know, a completely different one, different feel. And this time I'm in an outrigger. And there's about six men is what it looks like in front of me. And the outrigger went off to the side of the, of the boat. And uh, we're coming in, and it felt like it was a fishing trip or something of the sort. And on the beach, I could see our people, and they were running out to greet us. And there was a woman, you know, because in that life, I was a man. And I was big. <laughs> I was this big, muscular Hawaiian man. And as we're coming in and I see our people, I could see a woman who is my wife in this life. And she's carrying a little two-year-old and a baby. And she sets the two-year-old down on the sand, and she's very excited to see us. And I can feel her excitement, and I'm excited to see her as well and get home. And then all of a sudden, I am drawn into this feeling that, you know, she's, she's concerned. They're all concerned. And I was too caught up in feeling what they were feeling that I lost track of what I was doing. And I looked to my, my right, and where the outrigger was was this huge wave coming at us. And it ended up hitting us from the wrong side because I was distracted and it tipped our boat and I knew that we had died I knew that I had died and I knew that there were others of the men that also died and uh, that was on me because I was distracted but my whole entire life I had been drawn to Hawaii you know I had been drawn so often to the islands and to um, just to be there, it felt like I was always doing the hula or that kind of dancing when I was little and having never gone to Hawaii until I was 30 in this life. But it was interesting because there was um, many times that once we were there 
whether it be vacationing or the time that uh, Dimitri and Malia and I lived there for a period of time, we got to see some of the areas and some of the beaches and coves that I had remembered in visions. And uh, after we had lived there, I actually did a massage course uh, there on Kwa'i. Whereas where we lived was on the big island, but on Kwa'i was where the massage course was. And um, my whole entire life I had had this particular beach, you know, where this uh, lava cliffside kind of darted off to the left, and it was sort of a north-facing beach. And it wasn't until I was there with the massage course and we took this trip up to Tunnels Beach, up on the very north uh, side of that island that I actually recognized it and remembered it from visions and times when I was little and I would uh, <laughs> draw pictures and, and those kinds of things. And so we have the capacity to tap in, tune in, lean into aspects of ourself because our spirit is eternal. You know, our spirit has come here and come here and come here. And we have been a number of different um, cultures, people, colors. <laughs> We've spoke different languages. There have been many lifetimes that I've tuned into where I was in other places, you know, many in Egypt, so that was why Egypt came so easily to me. The Egyptian people came to, so easily to me, and I was just enamored with that culture and that country right out the gate. But what's really interesting is that when a spirit dies, or a person dies suddenly, and their spirit does not cross. They are caught in a limbo state. And sadly, that limbo state, they have a lot of their human emotion still. You know, they're caught up in that disarray of why they died, maybe what time of life they died, perhaps they were in their prime or they felt they were and it wasn't their time to go or, you know, sometimes if they were in a car accident and they just weren't willing to leave their family, um, then, you know, they would stick around. They wouldn't uh, catch that light bridge to be able to cross over into the spirit world completely. Even though the spirit world completely, when we are there, oh, we are in all of our power. And the spirits that I work with are the ones that are on the complete other side. And they come and they walk with me and walk with many of us from that side and, and offer to um, be guides for us while we are here. And so with that understanding, it's really important to uh, lean into these kinds of things for a better understanding of what might be going on around you. So years back when I was um, younger, I must have been I must have been maybe in my late 20s at the time. And Floyd, had, my greatest teacher, Floyd Hand, who I speak of a lot in my book and I've spoke about in my other podcasts, he had taught me how to help spirits that are in that limbo space cross over. 
And uh, this woman that I had worked with at the salon that I was at was telling me that she and her boyfriend were having such problems and that whenever she was in her house, they would just fight, just viciously fight. And uh, But when they were outside of their house or doing something else, it was as if it was a completely different scenario. And it scared her because one night when she was there at her home by herself, she was woken up by what felt like someone who was laying beside her. And uh, she was there again, yes, by herself. So when she felt that, she opened her eyes and it might have even have been spirit hour. I don't know. And when she opened her eyes, she saw what looked like a um, the skeleton of a woman and um, laying beside her. And she darted up. And of course, that that spirit or that skeleton was gone. And she got in touch with me. And she she said, "Can you help with this?" And I said, "Sure, I'll I'll work on it." And I hadn't been to her house yet um, at that point in our friendship. So I didn't know where she lived or anything like that. But when I went home and I sat at my altar as I do every night and I, you know, burnt sage as I do and smudge myself and leaned into spirit again out of my body, I went and astral traveled to where her house was. And I could see that it was on the south side of town, Jackson. And as I was hovering, uh, there's this creek that was running behind her house. And there was an area next to the creek that was kind of built up. The dirt had been built up there. And um, I suppose when they were um, flattening the land and that kind of thing to build that house, perhaps. Uh but on that, that built-up area right next to the water, it didn't grow anything. So if you don't know anything about Jackson Hole, Wyoming, we're this little lush mountain town, and we have lots of snow in the winter. We don't have much, if any, problem at all with grass, and especially right next to a creek like that. That wouldn't make sense. And so hovering over her home, seeing this beautiful house with green grass in one spot that was barren right next to the water left me curious. And so I came back into my body and I, I asked her the next day, I said, is there a spot out back that doesn't grow grass? And she said, yes. And I keep trying to put down, you know, seeds to plant grass. I, I've been trying for a long time to grow something and nothing will grow there. And Spirit told me that that was actually where there was a body a long time ago that was um, that was either buried or laid to rest there. And so I knew that there was a ceremony that needed to be done. And I started preparing for that. And, you know, I asked her if she could be um, away from the house so I could just have some time there on my own. And she said, sure. So, you know, I got the ceremony prepared as Floyd had always shown me to do. And I went inside her home. And as I stood there, just walked in the door and I closed my eyes. Her stairwell went up kind of the center of the house. And upstairs was where the bedrooms were and bathroom was. And 
all of a sudden I could see like this black tar is what it looked like in my mind's eye. And it was coming down the walls of the very center of that house where that stairwell was. And um, so I placed, you know, the prayer ties and the things that I needed to do, placed them where they needed to be and, you know, laid down food offering and did all the things that I needed and um, smudged the house and then I left. And uh, that ceremony is a four-day ceremony. So during those four days, I, you know, take to it and handle it the way that it needs to be. But what was interesting is when I was at my house, I knew that I needed to make this meal. And I could sense that um, I was being asked by that spirit to make this meal. And I knew she was female. And as I did, I started to make this stew. And it was going to be an elk stew with vegetables. And I reached into the freezer to get a bag of frozen vegetables out. And my hand went clear to the back of this particular area in the freezer. I couldn't see what I was grabbing. And I literally just, my hand grasped this particular bag. And when I pulled it out, <laughs> it said French cut green beans. But the word French stood out to me. And so then I asked what French had to do with it, and I got the, the word Nespers. And Nespers is, of course, a French word, but, you know, their people, they call themselves Nimipu. You know, so Nespers is a name that was given to them by the French. And so as I'm doing this ceremony, I could feel spirit around me very thick. And I'm praying the whole while that I'm creating this stew because it is honor in honor of this spirit who clearly hadn't crossed. And she was crying out and reaching out for, for help. So as I got closer to being done with this meal, I sat in prayer and I leaned into her and asked her to understand her journey, to show me. That's my favorite thing to say to spirit, show me. And then they will show what needs to be shown to understand everything that needs to be understood. And all of a sudden I saw that she was this beautiful, beautiful Nez Perce woman. And she had been taken by what looked like um, soldiers of some sort. And uh, as she was taken by these soldiers, uh, one of them had gotten her pregnant. And when she had communicated that she was pregnant, he took her from Jackson because they were, they had come this far and they must have been camped somewhere around here, which was very common back in the day. And when he found out she was pregnant, he took her away from the camp and outside of the little, little area that was Jackson at that time and uh, put a pretty large sword through her belly and killed her. And my friend who had lived in that house, 
She too would ask, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's going on? Why is this happening? And she would get this searing, searing pain in her abdomen. And she didn't know what that searing pain was. But that was that spirit trying her best to communicate what had happened, because that's what my friend asked, what happened. Me, I asked her, show me. And that's what she showed me. Again, as I'm hovering, I saw this. And this very proud Native woman was angry. Of course, she was angry. And she didn't cross over. And there were none of her people around to do ceremony the way that they would have until I came around. And granted, I am not of her tribe, but I am Native nonetheless and understand how to take care of these matters in a wakan or sacred way. And so this all started to culminate at this time for a reason. So the next thing that happened was the awareness of my friend's boyfriend and her relationship. Now the man that was the soldier in that life that took her out to the edge of the, 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 the town and killed her in the way that he did. Well, he lived out his life however it went. And when he passed, he reincarnated as the man that my friend was dating. And so naturally this draw to one another was happening for a reason. It was happening for them, not to them, as everything, I believe, happens in our life for us, not to us. And this relationship that my friend had acquired with this man was in complete divine alignment to help this spirit to come to a place where she could get the help that she needed. But she was also angry and recognized this man's energy, recognized his spirit from that time, albeit a different body, albeit a different life. But she would actually... Um, inhabit my friend's body when they were both in that house together, the boyfriend and her. And that's why those fights were as vicious as they were, because it wasn't my friend at all fighting this man. It was this beautiful, powerful woman that had her life taken in such a tragic way. And worse than that, the disrespect of just disregarding the body because that is not what we do in our culture. You know, the, the crossing over of our people is a sacred, sacred thing, as it is with everybody, but the Native people hold that very, in very high regard. And so when she was showing me the Spirit, this woman was showing me these things, my heart, my compassion was so high for her. And I needed to hear her. I needed to feel her. She needed me to understand, to bring validation to her life is what she needed. And here she 
was communicating with me in the ways that I could understand, in the ways that she could help me to understand. And so after this four-day ceremony was concluded, all of a sudden I, I stood in prayer and I could feel the completion of the ceremony in my friend's home. I could feel the clarity, the cleansing, the the lightness. No longer was there a heaviness. No longer was there a dankness. There was this uh, refreshed space. And then I saw her lifted, having risen up with this beautiful light behind her, wearing her traditional clothes, her long black hair, just beautiful, beautiful, strong, with her head held high. And I hadn't seen that in those days. That her in her most potent form on the other side, able to be released from this plane, able to be released from that life, And my prayer in that space for her and with her was that she didn't have to take that vibration, that energy of that darkness of what had happened to her with her in that way, that she could let that go, let it go, so that she didn't have to go through any kind of cleansing any further to come back into, you know, incarnate again in whatever form and fix anything. And that's how it felt. And from that perspective, when I saw her up there and she's communicating with me, she offered her assistance and said, any time that I needed her, any time that I needed strength, any time that I needed guidance, any time that I needed anything, that she will always stand with me and walk with me in that way. And I was in tears. I was so grateful. Such a powerful moment. And then she was met by two spirits. Um, One that when things are really getting crazy, he shows up. (laughs) So he was there. And another one, and they escorted her, you know, across that light bridge. And... It was done. It was all complete. And my friend had told me that after that, you know, the house felt different, didn't have any more dreams, didn't have any more contention, that the man and her, that, you know, their relationship had actually um, ended. And uh, her and I both believed that The whole reason for that relationship in the first place wasn't for her. It was for that spirit, so that that could come to completion. So on some level, in spirit, that was the wish. That was the prayer. And a lot of times, that's how it is with spirits. And I'll leave you with one more story of a similar scenario that um, a friend of a friend had gotten in touch with 
the woman who knew me, my friend, and said that her daughter, who was about 12 years old at the time, was being visited by this spirit, and she was angry, and she would yell at him and say, leave her alone, why are you doing this? Well, she asked, why are you doing this? And she started getting this pain in her abdomen. And um, so when she told this story to my friend, my friend put her and I together, and I remember sitting in the car talking to her on the phone, and she was telling me about this spirit that just kept visiting her daughter, and she wanted him to leave. She knew that the daughter said it was a male, and he would always visit her, and he she didn't want that, and she was afraid. And she said, he tried to kill me, he tried to kill me. And right away, I didn't feel like that was the case, but I listened to what she had to say, and then we set up a time for me to come and visit. And I went out to, um, <laughs> it was actually out at Stilson Ranch, just outside of Jackson here, it was where her home was, and still is, I'm assuming. And as I walked into her house, I opened the door, we go in, and I'm sitting at the on a stool kind of at the kitchen uh, bar area. And she steps away, and I close my eyes, and there's this man. He looks to be probably in his 30s, maybe. And he's standing there in overalls, and he's got this plaid shirt. You can tell that he, you know, was probably a homesteader, had a hat on, and... Um, he apologized. He said, I didn't mean to uh, scare anybody. And I asked him, I said, you know, um, asked him his story. And he said that when he and his wife and his daughter homesteaded there, he said that he had been, um, died of food poisoning. It wasn't intentional. It was completely by an accident. But he had passed, and he didn't want to leave because he would have left his wife and his little girl. And his little girl was about 12, was about that same age as the little girl that is my friend's. And he said that he could see so many similarities, and he just enjoyed so much kind of being near that young, youthful energy because he missed his daughter so. And he was caught in that limbo space where it's as if time didn't really pass for him. And finally, you know, as this woman is, you know, confronting him and demanding that he leaves, you know, this is our house, get out, get out. He's like, no, it's not. This was my house before it was ever anything. And, you know, he had a bit of a pushback going with her. And then when she said, why are you doing this? Why are you here? Well, he's trying to convey in the best way he knows by helping her feel just a bit of what he felt. And of course, he died by food poisoning. So of course, her abdomen is in a lot of pain. And he said, "I again, that wasn't my intention to, to f make anybody afraid. And I said, I can feel your family, my friend, on the other side. You know, they have lived out their lives and they have crossed do you want to cross so you can be with them? So you could be all of really what your spirit is here to be and the potential to be. And I can feel him be in agreement. And so we started the ceremony and 
did the same four-day event. And uh, <laughs> I even could feel the how he requested coffee, you know, because in our culture we always leave food out, and he wanted black coffee. And so, you know, that was a part of the feast that we did. And at that fourth day, at the end, I walked outside and put those prayer ties and the things that I needed for this ceremony out in a tree on that south side of their house. And as I stood there and prayed, uh, the spirit that always comes when he needs to bring that light bridge showed up. But this time, he had the man's wife and daughter as well. Now, they couldn't come as far. They had to stay a little further back. But they were standing there waiting for him with this white light behind them. It was as if I could see them in silhouette, but I could also see them as if they were kind of lit up themselves. And... uh My main guide that brought the light bridge, he came forward and joined with this man. and They started to walk and kind of go that direction, rise up that direction. And he too stopped, as they oftentimes do, and turned back in gratitude and thanks for um, the ceremony and for the capacity to be able to help. And I could feel his energy was so lifted with excitement. And he smiled the most peaceful smile. And he ascended. And I saw them join together and kept going until there was nothing but light. And then that light just started to um, get smaller and smaller and smaller until it was closed. And that actually... Um, is is one of my favorite favorite memories of spirits that have crossed over, and I have so many of these stories, so many of these that um, are in me. In fact, one that keeps popping back into my mind right now. I feel like I should add it to this particular podcast, but truly, if I kept going and going with the spirits that I've helped to cross or that spirit has used me to help them to cross, because it certainly isn't me, um, we would be here all night. (laughs) So we'll have to break that up. But the one that I'm thinking about right now happened when I lived at a little tiny cabin up on a hill above Wilson, Wyoming. There was a lot of spirit activity, a lot of animals up there. I did a lot of spiritual growth at that time. My daughter was about six then, so this might have been about 14 or 15 years ago. And uh, I was out in the living room, stoking up the fire, and my husband at the time, he came around the corner and he said, "Uh, Brandy, I was just in the bedroom and I saw a, a woman's a spirit of a woman that kind of peeked out from the bathroom. And when she saw me see her, she was surprised and she kind of jumped back. And immediately I stood up and I went into the room and, you know, went straight for my native stuff and uh, burnt sage and started to pray. And as I stood there, spirits said to go into the living room where I had just been. 
And walking right next to me was my my guide that helps this light bridge to come. And as we rounded the corner, I looked over toward where the fire was at, and I could see this glow from the fire. And the couch was to the left of the fireplace, and then there was this ottoman to the right. And leaning up against the ottoman was this woman. She was wearing this white kind of a gown, and she was blonde. She had her hair kind of in curls as if it were like the 1920s or so. And she was just so somber. She had streaks of mascara running down her face, and she was just downtrodden. And she was just just overwhelmed with this despair. So as we walked into further into the, the living room, and I stood there, I faced the south. The guide that works with me, he got her attention, because it was almost as if we were in different dimensions. And he had to bridge that as well, because all of a sudden she could see us, and she knew we could see her. And he told her to stand. So even though this main guide of mine is is Lakota, and she was not, he told her to stand, and she did. And we all turned to the West, and, you know, one of the songs that we sing is the Four Directions song, and that was what I was instructed to sing, so I did. And with each direction that we aimed at, I was able to get more and more of the story of what had happened to this woman. And she had shown me this train that her husband and her little girl and her were on. And it was going between New York and Chicago. And I don't know which direction it was going, but I know it was going between New York and Chicago. And I knew that there was, she showed me a wreck, a train wreck that had happened. And the wreckage was so bad that her husband died in the wreck. And her little girl was pinned underneath the seat somehow. And there were flames that were engulfing this train. And one of the workers in this train, you know, wearing his whole you know, uniform and hat, he's running through it, and she's tugging at her little girl, tugging, 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 and the little girl is alive, but she's pinned. And the woman is trying to get the daughter, help me, help me, help me, shrieking, and he tries for just a brief moment, but then grabs the woman and realizes that they're all going to die if he doesn't get her out of there. And he lifts her up and takes her away from her daughter, isn't able to get the wreckage unstuck to save the little girl. And she would have much preferred died in that train any which way it could have happened. She did not want to be saved if her daughter and husband couldn't be as well. And that was her sorrow that she carried, and how she found her way to my house is spirit, because when you bring 
the capacity to bring the light. Oftentimes there's a number of spirits that will come around that need to have this opportunity to, to cross over. And that's all that I can imagine or understand because she's so far from where that wreck had happened. So some things are just better left to better left to be and not necessarily understood. Just know that there was something that brought us together that night. And as we did this ceremony and we ended this um, song and prayer and time aiming to the south, there again is the light bridge. And there again is her husband and this little girl. And there again, that main guide escorted her across, and they were able to be in all of who they are. And that was another beautiful story. That's actually what I love to do the most um, are the clearings, whether it be people, places, or things. I love to help energy to transmute because energy can't go away. You know, we, we try to shun it. We try to push it away sometimes, but it's not like that. As an energy worker, as an alchemist, you transmute things. You transmute from darkness to light. And when you're in service of Tunkashla, of that creator force, that God energy, well, you're used as a servant in that way of a, of a worker, of a warrior of light. And uh, that is what I do. And that is some of the best understandings that I've got of this life and understanding uh, that, you know, where we come from, what we've been through, we bring with us. How many of you have phobias? How many of you don't like to be in enclosed spaces? How many of you have a terrifying fear of water? <laughs> How many of you have a fear of falling? How many of you have a fear of having something fall on you? You can track those things back to what you may have been in other times. And then once you identify that life, just like unplugging something from an outlet, it all makes sense. Uh-huh. With that, my friend, I'm going to bid you a farewell for this this particular podcast and hope that I've planted a seed of understanding and clarity for you because you are an eternal being capable of far more than you ever could imagine and more powerful beyond powerful so understand who you've been will help you understand who you are and also where you're going and to embrace that. Uh-huh. Hey, Chatu. And so it is.